Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for what it tells us about your son in particular and his death. Lord, we should never make light of his death. It is the most important event that has occurred because it is the way of salvation for us. So, Lord, as we look at it again this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us new eyes to see the ramifications of Christ's death for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use the preaching of your word this morning to humble us and to drive us anew to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Why do people die? Why do people die? This is a question that has many answers. And it can be for many different reasons. We can see as we grow older, we understand that people die for all kinds of reasons. And some deaths are suspicious. We consider them suspicious because we think that there may have been other people involved in that person's death. And we look for motives of other people around the person who's died to see whether they may have a good reason for bringing about someone's death. I was raised uh, to this kind of idea recently as one of our children was walking home from school with uh, their mother and they said to Jill, what happens to my, well, protected, but I was just saying sibling, they didn't say sibling, what happens to so-and-so What happens to their toys if they die? What happens to their toys if they die? And it's a very suspicious question because it starts to make you think, well, if someone suddenly carks it in the house, uh, what is the motive that may have been behind that person dying if their death is suspicious? It's called motive when you are considering the possessions of somebody else and what happens to those possessions when that person might die. Jesus' death is quite well known. But why was Jesus crucified? Why did Jesus die? The scriptures give us a number of answers as to the death of Christ, why he was put to death. And in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, we see a number of reasons are put forward as to why Jesus was crucified. But I want to focus in particular on one reason this morning that has two sides to it, so to speak. One reason, and that is because of envy. Because of envy, Jesus was put to death. And the first group that we see are envious and lead to Christ being crucified are the religious leaders. And so that's my first main point this morning. Jesus was crucified because the religious leaders were envious. Jesus was crucified because the religious leaders were envious. After Jesus was arrested, he is eventually taken to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he is interrogated by Pilate. And then we read the words that are given to us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. I encourage you to have your Bible open to this passage. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, which is found on page 987 of the Black Church Bibles. We read verse 15, Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? 
For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 18 is very important. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the religious leaders had handed Jesus over to him. What is envy? What does it mean that the religious leaders were envious? Well, this word, this Greek word, is translated in another part um, in Mark's Gospel. It's there in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 15, verse 8 through 10. Uh, it is there where it is translated by the NIV as self-interest. If you are envious, you are self-interested. And another translation we could have of this word is jealousy. Jealousy particularly over the good success of somebody else. If you are envious, you are jealous over the good success of somebody else. And ultimately, the word envy is rooted to that command that we're given in the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment, about coveting. Envy is rooted to coveting. In the Ten Commandments, given in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the Tenth Commandment reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet the things that do not belong to you. You shall not be envious or jealous of the things that other people have. So then if envy or jealousy, coveting, is wanting something that doesn't belong to you, and particularly where you start to be consumed with the desire for that thing and even start to commit other sins for it, like murder, theft, to get that thing that you want so badly, if that is what the religious leaders have towards Jesus, what is it about Jesus that they're envious of? Why don't they like Jesus? What do they want that Jesus has? Well, the New Testament tells us that one of the things that they're really envious of Jesus is, is his power. They're envious of his power. His power to do miracles and his power particularly over the crowds, that people are flocking to him, that people love to hear from Jesus. And an example of this is given to us in John chapter 11. Turn with me now to page 1064. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, which is that part of the Bible that records the event where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in a very public manner where lots of people can see that Jesus has power over death. So Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, Jesus, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and then in verse 46 of John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 46, although I'll read from verse 45, it says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, that is, raising Lazarus from the dead, what did they do? They put their faith in him. They put their faith in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. They're not denying that he did miracles. These are his enemies. They recognize he's doing miracles. He's doing many miraculous signs. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Here is motive for Christ's death. 
They are holding a meeting together and talking about the ramifications of Jesus continuing as he has been doing. And they see the writing on the wall, so to speak. They see that if we let Jesus go on like this, more and more people will start to follow him and not us. And that could lead to an uprising with the Romans. And the Romans will come and they will wipe us out. They will take away our place and our nation. What are they envious of Christ for? His power. His power to do miracles and his power over the people. That people love him. People are trusting him. People are following him. And they don't like it one little bit. They are envious of the power that Jesus has. They want that power. And they're recognizing that we're losing that power and we want it back. And so the solution to their problem? Kill Jesus. Let's hand him over to the Romans to put him to death so that then he has no more power over the people whatsoever. Once he is out of the way, we will have power returned to us. Here's their reasoning. So why was Jesus crucified? Because of the envy of the religious leaders. Any other reasons? Well, as I said at the beginning of the talk, there's many reasons why Jesus was crucified. But the reason of envy doesn't stop with the religious leaders. Jesus was crucified because of envy. Not just the envy of the religious leaders, but also the envy of others. And that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus was crucified because Christians are envious. Jesus was crucified because Christians are envious. Envy, jealousy, covetousness, not a new concept to the religious leaders at the time of Jesus. It wasn't as though no one was envious up until the religious leaders came along and wanted Christ's power. No, envy starts right back at the beginning with Adam and Eve, our first parents. Adam and Eve demonstrate that envy was part of their downfall. We just had that passage read to us from Genesis chapter 3. Turn with me there now, Genesis chapter 3, page 3 of the church Bibles. Page 3, and I'll read from verse 1 again. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 3, where we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This part of scripture is so important. Sometimes I think I'd like to do a sermon series on it and take almost one word at a time for each week. There's just so much packed in here, the way that Satan manipulates the things that he says, the things that Eve says in response. It reveals so much of who we are as humans and who Satan is. 
But here we can see the envy of Eve as she considers the fruit in the garden. We see that she desires it because it is good for food and pleasing to the eye. She can't have it and she likes the look of it and she wants it. She covets it there in the garden. And she also sees that it's desirable for gaining wisdom. What's she doing here? She wants what God has. She wants authority in her life. She wants to be the decider of what is good and evil. She wants the power of God. And she takes. She usurps God's authority here in the garden and takes the fruit that is forbidden. And that enviousness of God's authority continues down through the ages, from Eve onwards. It's continued to us today. People are still envious of others around them. They're envious of things that God has, but they're also envious of the things that others have around them. They're envious of people in positions of authority. They want the power that other people have. Children want the power of their parents. They start to boss the other children around in the home. They want that position of authority. Children want the power that teachers have. I remember at school when I was a boy that children would say, I want to be a teacher when I grow up and tell the kids what to do. They want that position of authority and they will start to even use it in the classroom if they can. They'll boss other students around. People want the position of power of their boss at work want to be in charge, want to boss the other colleagues around, want to be the one who tells themselves what to do. And so some people like to start their own business so that they can be boss of themselves. They really have a problem with authority. And of course, lots of people have a problem with the authority of the government, anti-authoritarian towards the government, and they want to be able to say what they can and can't do in this country. And some people, to get that power, end up in government so they can be the boss of their own lives and to make the rules that better them rather than simply bettering the people of the country. And people are not just envious of the power. They want money. They want better looks. They want more possessions. They want better friends and family than other, the, the friends and family that other people have. They see those people and they go, I want them. I want to be like that person. And even children are envious of each other's toys and the things that other people have. What is the root problem with all these envious desires that people have? Well, it's all about power. As I said, they're they're envious of the power of 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 people with positions of authority. But they're also, when it comes to possessions, how much of the desire for the things that other people have is rooted to a desire for the power and control that comes of having those possessions? Why do we often want the big house, the nice car, the big bank account? Is it because we actually will enjoy those things or do we want them because that will give us control over other people, particularly when it comes to money? We want to be able to have control over others. And so we're jealous of those things that other people have because it will then give us control. I always like uh, movies where they're post-apocalyptic, so some major disaster has happened and pretty much the entire human race is wiped out and there's a remnant on the earth and they live in the best apartments with the best views. They have 
all these possessions. They, they have wads and wads of cash or gold and precious stones. And it's worthless to them because there's nobody else on the planet. What's the point of having all that money if there's nobody else that you can manipulate with that money? What's the point of having the best apartment with harbour views if there's no one that you can show it off to? I mean, they seem to have a good time with some cars and things that they can drive around on deserted highways, but even then there's often cars all over the highways and it's very hard for them to get around them. But you see in those movies the worthlessness of the possessions that people have when there's nobody else around. How worthwhile are those things that we covet so much that we desire that other people have? This was brought out to me powerfully in a, uh, a book that I once read that some of you may have read, an old book by Jonathan Swift, Gulliver's Travels. And most people know about Gulliver's Travels in the, the land of Lilliput where he's big and everybody else is small. But the final land that Jonathan Swift goes to is a land where the rulers are horses and the humans are called yahoos and they're these despicable creatures who run around. And the horses are these wise wise individuals, and they are puzzled by the yahoos, the people of the land. And one of the things that puzzles them is the interest that yahoos have for shiny stones. They don't understand why the yahoos will fight with one another and hoard up these shiny stones, basically precious jewels is what um, uh, Jonathan Swift is getting at. Diamonds, precious gold, these things. The yahoos are hoarding them and fighting over them with one another. And the horses just look at these stones and go, yeah, they're nice and shiny, but what's the big deal about them? And we see that. He's making a, a comment upon our, our societies where we value these rocks so highly and we spend so much of our lives working to even get these rocks. And they're just rocks. Why do we covet such things? Because of the power that they often bring. It's not always the case. We do like nice houses with air conditioning and things, so when the heat comes, it's pleasant to be in. But how often do we covet the things that other people have? We're envious of things because we want that power. And it's across the board. Who is envious? Everyone. You don't have to look very far. Look at your politicians. Look at your colleagues at work. Look at your friends, family. Do you see envy in them? Yes. And you don't have to look very far into your own life to see envy either. How many times have you been envious in the last year? Can you count them on one hand? What about in the last month? Last week? Last hour? As you were coming to church? Did you look at some houses or some cars on the road? Did you think about your bank balance this morning? And Christians struggle with this as well. We are envious too. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, tells us that one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul says that's what we were. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, living in malice and envy. 
Why is envy so bad? Why am I painting this picture here this morning and, and saying that everybody is envious? Why is it so bad? Well, envy is so bad because it leads to other sins. That's what I said before about coveting. It leads to other sin. And those sins have consequences, serious consequences, even in this world. If you are envious of something, it can lead you to desire it in such a way that you start to want to break into someone's house and get it. Or to lie, to cheat, to get that thing. Even murder. How many people are in prisons in Australia because of envy? Not as though a judge said, you're going to prison because you're guilty of envy. No, it's some other charge that's given to them. But they're in prison because the root problem goes back to envy. If they weren't envious, they wouldn't have done that thing that has landed them in prison. That's why envy is bad. It leads to other sin and severe consequences to those sins. And also, we've got to remember that envy is bad because it leads to death. It leads to death and eternal punishment that comes with it. James 1 verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That envy that you have entices you. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When it is full grown, when it is full grown, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Envy is not a light matter. It leads to death, to eternal punishment. And so our struggle with envy is part of our biggest problem in this world. What is our biggest problem in this world? Well, some people might think it's cancer or heart disease, global warming, ISIS. Some people might think it's Donald Trump. He's going to be our biggest problem if he gets the presidency. Or Hillary Clinton, you may swing the other way. Or even our biggest problem, if we're very restrictive and think just of Australia, might be Malcolm Turnbull or Bill Shorten, depending on which way you go in the next election. They're not our biggest problems. Our biggest problem is sin, including the sin of envy. It leads to pain in this world and it leads to death and punishment from God. So envy is very serious. But what does your envy then have to do with Jesus? I, made a, I declared my second main point this morning a while ago, and I've been building up to it. But I said that my second main point was Jesus was crucified because Christians are envious. Jesus was crucified because Christians are envious. The death that we deserve for our envy was taken by Jesus Christ. That explains why Jesus was crucified. Because of your envy, Jesus willingly went to the cross. It's not as though the envy of the religious leaders killed Jesus against his will, that Pilate somehow had the upper hand over Jesus and the religious leaders had the upper hand on Pilate and so Jesus was put to death because of the envy of the religious leaders. No, Jesus submitted to that death and he did so because of your envy if you believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, then your envy is paid for at the cross. And Titus 3 brings this out to us. Titus 3, which I quoted before, but we'll turn to it now. Page 1182. Page 1182. 
Titus chapter 3, and I'll read from verse 3 down to verse 7, but this whole paragraph from verse 3 is a wonderful description of the gospel, of the good news in Jesus Christ. It's a good summary statement. Maybe you'd like to spend some time memorising it over the next few weeks. I'll just put that idea in your, your head, so to speak. Titus chapter 3, page 1182. And I'll read from verse 3, which I read before, but I'll continue reading. It says that, verse 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Jesus went to the cross because of our envy. And at the cross, our envy, our sin against him is washed away. His blood does indeed wash it away. All that envy that you've had for people in authority, from your parents from a young age, your teachers, your boss at work, the government and the power that they have, and even your envy of God and his power in your life, the way that you've sinned against him and desired the things that don't belong to you, being consumed with jealousy for what isn't yours. If you believe in Jesus Christ, all that sin of envy is washed away. It's all removed by God's grace, by his mercy. Both his mercy and grace are mentioned in that text. And so what put Jesus at the cross? The envy of the religious leaders, but also the envy of every Christian who's ever lived. Because he went to the cross to pay for your envy. Your envy put him there if you are to go free. What does that then mean if you are not a Christian? Well, that means that you are somewhat clear of causing Christ to die. That your hands are clean when it comes to Christ's death. Because your envy hasn't been paid for by Christ, and so you are not responsible for his death. But be aware of what that then means. That means that you are under God's judgment for your envy in this life and also the next. If you continue with your envy, your jealousy, your covetousness towards what does not belong to you, then you will suffer often in this life. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body. A heart at peace, a heart that's content, that's not jealous, not envious. It gives life. But envy, it rots your bones. It's a powerful illustration. Bone rot is a terrible thing. If you get infection into your bone, it is awful. I remember... Working as a podiatrist, I share some gruesome illustrations every so often. I remember seeing bones through an ulcer in someone's foot. You can just tap it with 
instruments, you can see it there, and it is scary to be able to do that because that means if they're walking around on that or even have it in shoes or bandages covering it, infection, if that gets in and gets that bone, they're going to lose the bone. And if they don't do anything about it, they'll lose their life. Bone rot is terrible. And that is what the Bible says envy is like. If it is inside you, it rots away in there and will kill you and give you terrible punishment in the next life. Envy is serious. We might, well, I chuckle at the idea of my child being envious of the other child's toys and wondering what will happen if that child expires and whether they will get all the toys of the other person. Gave me a giggle that day to hear it. But serious envy, where you are consumed with the desire for what does not belong to you, it rots the bones and will bring about your death. And if Christ did not go to the cross for your envy then that is what you have to look forward to. And I encourage you, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, turn from your envy today. Turn from your covetousness. Turn from your sin and trust that Jesus Christ died for you. It sounds horrible that you want Christ to die in your place, that your envy puts him at the cross. But it's either that or you are punished for your envy. I hope, my prayer, is that all the people in this room are responsible for Christ's death, that their envy is responsible for Christ's death so that they can go free and so that Jesus is glorified as this one who came in grace and mercy and saved us from the consequences of our envy. Let's speak to our God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this marvellous message in your word that... Christ paid for our envy, for our covetousness, for our jealousy. Lord, we thank you for the way that your word presents to us the truth about ourselves. It tells us that we are sinners, that our envy is wrong, and it does indeed rot the bones if we do not do something about it. Lord, we thank you that we can do something about it because Christ has done something about it that he has paid the penalty for our envy. And so we are washed if we trust in Christ. Lord, we pray that the believers in this room may continue to look to Christ, to pay for their envy, for their jealousy, for their covetousness. We pray that we may start to overcome these desires for things that do not belong to us, particularly power. And Lord, we pray that we may make this message known to others. We pray for anyone in this room this morning who at this stage is not responsible for Christ's death because he did not pay for their sins. Lord, we pray that they may put their trust in Christ today and may Christ have suffered on their behalf. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.